So what do you do when Jesus comes into your boat? Well, there's a couple things we can learn from this story. First of all, if you are a fisher, if you like fishing and you're going to go on a fishing trip, Jesus would be a great person to bring with. Secondly, when Jesus comes into your boat, you better be prepared for everything to change. Well, again, we want to welcome you here this morning. We're so glad that you're here uh, on this beautiful Sunday morning. We want to welcome you again. My name is Pastor John, and uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, I would love to do so uh, afterwards and connect with you. It's a great weekend. God's doing some amazing stuff. We had a, a baptism uh, at our last service. Excited about that. Also, didn't the worship team do an awesome job this morning? Let's give God praise for them, as always. Absolutely. Uh, so blessed here uh, as well. It's a great weekend. There's a lot uh, going on. It's a big weekend for a variety of reasons, our baptism uh, as well. But also, uh, today is the first weekend of Lent. Some of you maybe didn't grow up in church and don't know uh, what Lent is, is all about, or you saw on Wednesday, we had our Ash Wednesday services, and if you're not familiar with that or didn't grow up in kind of a Lutheran or mainline church that didn't celebrate Lent and have these special services, you saw a lot of people walking around, maybe your workplace with like the sign of the cross in, in ashes, and you're like, did the rapture happen and I missed it, or what's going on? Some of you might be wondering uh, about that. Uh, some of you may be a little bit confused about the whole season of Lent, and you hear people talking about, what are you giving up for Lent, and what are you giving up uh, for Lent? See people say, you know, chocolate or pop or, you know, social media or whatever it is. Every year, it's, it's in my notes every year to tell you, every year for Lent I give up on the Hawkeyes, is what I do uh, to ever to make it to the tournament again. We're just struggling uh, this year. But on a more serious note, Lent is this 40-day journey leading up to Easter, if you're unfamiliar uh, with it, as we prepare our hearts and make space, make room in our lives, make room in our, in our boats for Jesus. What would it look like if Jesus showed up at your boat today? What would that look like? Would you respond like Peter. The other reason it's a big day today is we got Lent starting. We also got a new sermon series starting called The Jesus Run. So you picked a great day to come today on the very first day of this. Look at your neighbor right now. Give him a little elbow and say, neighbor, great choice today. Tell him that right now. Great choice coming today. Way to go. Great choice. So we are kicking off this series. It's called The Jesus Run. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Matthew. In the last uh, month or so, we've been in the Old Testament. Now we're hopping over to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're, we're starting at chapter 4, as you heard today. So Jesus has been born. Uh, he's been baptized in the Jordan River. And then he's uh, been tempted in the wilderness. And now he's starting his ministry. And so we're going to be following these key stories around. And to help you with that, as you look around the outside of the worship center today, there's these paintings that are done by our creative team which is awesome, which you're, if you're a writer or an artist or a painter or a sculptor or uh, a video editor or anything, we would love to get you connected with that team. They created these things to help us week by week as you come, every story is going to relate with an image. And so we challenge you to, to match up the sermon with the image as well. Today, you probably won't miss it because we have a giant boat in front of the church as well. That's not normal, but this is the actual boat that Jesus called Peter in. We got it. The creative team got that. It's a life-size replica right there. So we're excited to have that. That, uh, today. But Jesus is starting his ministry, and we pick it up today in Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels, as they're called, that tell the story of Jesus' life. So very similar to what you saw in the opening clip there, we pick it up in verse 18. It says, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Follow. Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. 
Verse 20, and they left their nuts, nets at once and followed him. Now, sometimes I, I have to back up from these stories and think about this. Jesus knew he was God, so he knew that in three years he was going to die and rise again, and he's got three years to change the world, to put this movement into, into place. If you had three years to change the world, what would you do? Jesus goes to the most unlikely place to find his followers. Jesus doesn't go, you know, I'm Jesus, so I'm going to go to the, the church, the synagogue in those days, and I'm going to get the, the religious people. I'm going to get the Pharisees and the scholars and the teachers of the law and all the really churchy type people, and that's how I'm going to start my movement. You would think he would do that, but he doesn't. Jesus goes to the most unlikely place that you would go. He goes to a shipyard, essentially, at the Sea of Galilee. And I was trying to think this week, how can I put this into perspective and paint this picture for you? Jesus going to the Sea of Galilee would be like Jesus showing up at, you know, that that one part of town that's a little rough that you wouldn't let your kids go and that there's this bar that's kind of notorious for being on the news and the crime scene and you're just there at the wrong time in the middle of the night. That's the Sea of Galilee. Those are the type of people that you would meet there, people that are a little bit rough around the edges, these fishermen. And so Jesus shows up there and starts calling people to follow him. You ever heard the phrase to talk like a sailor, except it's a different word, right? That's probably kind of what these fishermen were like. They were pretty rough around the edges, the most unchristian place that Jesus could go. So just a word for you this morning. If you've ever felt like you're on the outside looking in of this whole church thing, Read the Bible. Everybody that Jesus called felt like they were on the outside looking in. Jesus is for you. When we say, when Jesus says, follow me, this is for you. Jesus didn't come for the people that had it all together. He came for the people that were maybe the farthest from God that nobody expected, like fishermen. And so Jesus shows up and he says, follow me. What would you have done if you were Peter? And Jesus comes walking up and, and there you are, in your boat. And, and it's very clear from the story that Jesus or that Peter was kind of struggling with his job. His boat wasn't full of fish necessarily, but his boat was full of was full of pride. Everybody say pride. Not the good kind, but the bad kind. You could hear Peter, you know, respond to Jesus. Jesus says, you know, uh, I'm here to help you. You know, I can know a little bit about fish. I created them and the ocean. In fact, I hold it in my hand. But you don't need my help, right? Peter says, no, I'm good. I got this. And Jesus says, I'm here to give you a whole new life. And Peter says, who says I want one? Some of us act like that towards God sometimes. What are you doing invading my life? God says, oh, I don't know. I'm just filling your lungs with breath right now, right? I have a little something to say. I created you. I know what's best for you. Maybe like Peter, your boat is full of pride as well. If you think about it, you know, the boat, all boats have names. I don't know what Peter's boat was called, but it was, you could have called it pride, the name of it, because the name of a boat says something about the captains, right? So you've got, uh, I'm thinking of these famous boat names. So you've got Gilligan and the skipper have the the minnow, right? And then you've got Forrest, Forrest Gump, and he's got Jenna, Jenna. Some of you did that right, like Jenna, right? With your, some of you are from Alabama, and uh, you, you know, that would be, that's on the boat. The, the name of a boat says something about the person inside. And so if you look at the story, you could just write right on there that Peter's boat is called Pride. And I just wonder, what would your boat be called this morning? If, if Jesus showed up to your boat, what would it be called? It's, it's a very personal thing to, to let somebody into your boat. Peter was a fisherman, 
And so to let somebody into your boat, you, 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 it was a very personal thing. You, you spent days there. Some of you, depending on your job, you say, I kind of live in my car. You know what I mean? And your car kind of looks like you live in it, right? Fishermen lived in their boat. It wasn't a nine-to-five job. And they, they lived there. If you didn't catch fish, well, you stayed in your boat until you caught fish. That's why Peter was so distraught until Jesus shows up, right? So to let somebody into your boat is kind of like inviting somebody right into your living room. It's a very personal thing. So if Peter's boat is called pride, I wonder if Jesus showed up in your life, if he walked into your boat this morning, what's he walking into? What's going on in your life these days that Jesus would be walking into? Maybe for some of you it is pride. It is kind of like Peter and Jesus shows up and you're like, no, I, I, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm out here hanging out in my boat, doing, doing my thing. I'm good. And Jesus says, well, actually, it doesn't, you don't have any fish. I'm like, well, I stopped doing that a long time ago. I just kind of show up at worship every week and just kind of do my thing. But Jesus, I'm good. It's, it's better in my life if I just kind of do the Sunday Christianity thing and, and I'll stay here in my boat and you can stay over there on the shore because if Jesus, if you come into my boat, if you come into my life and I like let you into my, my personal business, that means that all of a sudden I'm not have my hand on the rudder, that you're going to start taking charge and Jesus, you might ask me to do things I don't want to do. And so there's a little bit of pride in your life that says, Jesus, I'm good. You keep your distance. You stay over there and I'll stay over here. And yet Jesus comes to you this morning and says, follow me. I'll meet you where you're at, right in the middle of your pride. Some of you are like, no, no, it's, it's not pride. You know, if Jesus came walking up to my boat, it wouldn't be a fishing boat. It'd be, it, I'm so busy, it'd be a speedboat. That'd be the name of my boat. I'd be a speedboat because, you know, you're over here, and you're going and pulling on your, your, your motor, and you're dashing all over the lake because you are busy. And the pace of your life does not match up with the type of life that you want to live. And so you're dashing around, and you're saying, hey, Jesus, thanks for coming and calling me out of my boat uh, here this morning. You know, I, I would love to. I'm, I'm all for this Jesus thing and this church thing. Uh, every, I don't know if I can do every week. I, the, the kids got a lot of activities. We got a lot of stuff going on. I just don't know if we can work you into our schedule this week. I've got my hobbies and my social life, and I'm just really busy in this season of life. So Jesus, why don't you come back and call me in a different season of life, and then I'll get out of my boat, and I'll come follow you. But why don't you just stay over there, and I'll kind of stay over here. I'm in a speedboat. I got lots of stuff to do. Jesus, you just wouldn't understand, right? So I'm just going to stay here. You stay there. And I wonder, what would the name of your boat be this morning? If, if we're honest, for some of you, it's, it's apathy. It's indifference. It's, you're not a speedboat. You're more like more one of those pontoon boats that just kind of sits out in the middle of the lake and just kind of floats. And some of you are saying, I'm floating right now. There's not a lot of fire. There's not a lot of passion. You're, you're like, you know, Jesus, thanks for coming, Jesus. I'm, I'm all for the church thing, but, but you used to be in my boat, and then I kind of lost that spark, and I got distracted, and now I'm just sort of coasting. You know, like nothing, nothing's new under the sun. I'm just kind of hanging out here, and God, there's really nothing new with you, so I'll just be here, and you just be there because, well, the spark's kind of gone, and I'm not exactly sure if I can get that back. And if you're in the boat of apathy or indifference today, Jesus says... Follow me. Follow me. What if Peter would have looked at Jesus, the opportunity of a lifetime to follow Jesus, and said, you know, it's not a good time for me right now, Jesus. It's not a good season of life for me. I've got some other stuff going on. That would be unheard of. I want you to know, regardless of where you're at this morning, whatever circumstances, whatever boat you find yourself in, the boat of stress, 
the boat of fear, the boat of pain, the boat of the unknown, wherever you find yourself. Sometimes I just imagine Jesus walking in back there when I'm preaching sometime and be like, that's it, I'm done. Like the stage is yours, right? Sometime that's actually going to happen. He's going to come walking in here and he's going to say, wow, cool boat, guys. And he's going to come walking in and he's going to look you in the eyes wherever you're at, in your apathy, in your stress, in your busyness, in your pain, in your fear, in your pride. And he's going to look you in the eyes. And I just imagine Jesus saying this to you this week. You coming? I'm, I'm going this way. Are, are you coming? I, I know it's not a good season for you right now. It's never going to be. So I want you to follow me right in the middle of whatever mess you find yourself in. It's not, I'm going to fix my busyness and then follow Jesus. Jesus says, why don't you just come follow me? He didn't say, Peter, get your life together, then come follow me. He said, come. He didn't say, take a Bible study test and then come follow me. He said, right in the middle of where you're at in whatever season of life, in your doubts, in your fears, in your, I don't like church very much, I have some doubts and some questions about God, Jesus says, you coming? He says, okay, I know. I'm going to meet you right in the middle of that and says, are you coming? To those maybe in the boat of pride, he says, drop your nets and the need to control everything and think that you know how to run your life better than the God that created you. Drop your nets. To those of you that are in the speedboat this morning, Jesus has no judgment or condemnation for you. He has compassion for you. And he says, I've got something way, way better for you than exhaustion. I know you're busy. I know it's, parenting is difficult. I know your job is hard, whatever it is. Come to me, Jesus says, and you can find rest for your soul. I want to give you a deeper rest and a purpose and a meaning to your life instead of dashing all around and being busy and trying to, to please everybody. Jesus says, you only need to please me, and my call in your life is to rest. Jesus' desire for you is that you would not live the pace of your life at constant depletion, but that you would be filled up and experience his life. Follow me, Jesus says. And if you're in apathy, Jesus says, I want to light that pilot light again. And I'm going to bring that passion back. And you can experience God every single day, not just on the weekends and go through the motions. Jesus says there's more for you than that. So follow me right in the midst of wherever you're at this morning. Drop your net and follow me. And back to the story for Peter, James, and John. They did. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, fishing is like their, their livelihood. It said they dropped everything. They dropped their, put their entire life behind them and followed Jesus. Now, if you're like me, have you ever wondered, why in the world would they do that? I mean, Jesus wasn't really Jesus yet. He wasn't that well-known. He hasn't kind of put himself out there. He was just this guy, and maybe he told him he was a rabbi, but he just showed up. Would you have just left everything and say, oh, see ya, I'm going to follow this random guy in a robe and sandals that walked up and jumped in my boat, Right? Why did they do that? Well, to answer that question, we need to do a little bit of a Jewish history lesson here this morning. So, you know when you ask little kids, like, the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? Most little kids are like a professional athlete or an astronaut. For our four-year-old Caleb, it's a fireman, a policeman, uh, and a preacher like daddy. So that'll be a very, very busy life uh, for, oh, and a rock star like Jed as well uh, is on his itinerary. You know, when you ask little boys, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you would ask a young Jewish boy in Jesus' day, what do they want to be when they grow up? They would say, I don't know, but I know I want to follow a rabbi. 
I know I want to I work my way up to where I could study and maybe one day be a rabbi myself. I mean, this would be like being a professional athlete. So just like one in a million chance. So young Jewish boys would go to school, and they would kind of go to the equivalent of elementary and middle school and high school, and they would work their way up this ladder and the different hoops that they would have to jump through. And, and it, was, it was very intense studying, and they would go through these different levels and memorize entire books of the Bible. I mean, you think you had it bad in Sunday school. They had to memorize entire books of the Old Testament, the Torah, the first five books, and they would jump through these hoops. And as they would go, the rabbis would kind of separate out the boys from kind of the leftovers from the ones that had true potential. And if you made it all the way, then you made it kind of this last area where you would actually get to follow a rabbi. But even then, you would have to seek out a rabbi and say, sir, would it be okay if I followed in the dust, in your dust? As they walked, the dust from their sandals would kick up. And so a common phrase was, may you follow in the dust of your rabbi. If they would let you, it was a privilege and an honor to follow a rabbi. And so a lot of the boys that never, you know, made it through all of those hoops would just end up having a lot of the ordinary jobs that we read about in the Bible. They would work in the marketplace, or they would be uh, a butcher, or, or a baker, or a, uh, work in the steel shop, or fishermen. So now when we go back to Matthew chapter 4, you understand that when Jesus shows up, for Peter, <laughs> this is the opportunity of a lifetime. For Peter and James and John, this is unheard of. So when, when you would follow a rabbi, the, the phrase they would use is you're their disciple. And it wasn't I'm going to go to school with the rabbi and sit in a classroom. It was people would follow around a rabbi. You would, you would ask the rabbi, can I follow you? And then you would just watch how they lived their whole life. And you would model your entire life and relationship with God based on that rabbi that you were following. And so when Jesus shows up, he looks at these schmucks and says, follow me. Those two words could not be more scandalous. Who says that? What rabbi goes to the bar in the middle of the night, finds the guy passed out in the corner and says, you're my guy. I mean, that's Peter. He was rough. The farthest from God, the most unchristian. And Jesus says, I'm completely flipping the societal and cultural norms on their head. And I, the rabbi, believe in you. And I want you to follow me. No wonder they drop their nets. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. So you would model your life around the rabbi. So long before you and I get to decide what's church, what is Christianity, we have this story of Jesus saying, follow me. Christianity at its core is about being a disciple, somebody who is apprenticing Jesus or modeling every aspect of their lives around his. Therefore, a disciple is not necessarily measured by how young or old you are. It doesn't matter by how long or short you've been in the church. It doesn't matter how many small groups you've led or how many Bible studies you've attended or how many workbooks you've done or how experienced or inexperienced you are in the church or what you grew up in or what denomination. Discipleship is measured by one question. Does my life look more and more like Jesus? Today than it did yesterday. This month than it did last month. This year than it did last year. Think about it this way. I know this is a little goofy, but imagine you're living your life as you normally are, and some random person comes and lives with you for six months. 
okay? They move in with you, your apartment, your townhouse, your house, and they don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about Jesus or Christianity or the church, and you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, and they're coming to observe your life. And they leave six months later. What would they discover? Sometimes I think if I'm honest and somebody kind of lived life with me for six months and knew nothing and say, wow, he loves chips and coffee. That's what they would leave seeing, like, Wow, and there's this thing on the TV that pops up. It's this red and black Netflix. You certainly are staring at this screen a lot, and, and really you, you cuddle this thing in your hand, and you're constantly poking at it, and you just stare at it all day long. If somebody hung out with you for six months, what would they say that you're passionate about? What would they say consumes your time and your focus? And in six months... Would somebody be able to observe, not just you showing up to church on Sunday, but all of your life, that they would look at your life and after six months go, oh, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Oh, that's what it means to just give yourself away and to be completely generous, to give up your time and of your energy. Oh, that's what it means that, that wow, that, that Jesus is solely worth following, I, that, that he's your number one passion and priority, because if you're apprenticing Jesus, that's the sort of lifestyle that you're just naturally going to catch. In discipleship, faith is more often caught than taught. And hear me say this, right now what I'm doing is I'm teaching you, okay? I can't model anything for you. That's what I do with my kids and what they see, and hopefully what they see on Wednesday afternoon when I watch them is the same what daddy talks about on the stage. And for you, I pray that it would be the same, that you would walk the talk, that those around you and those that you're investing in and discipling, faith is more often caught than taught. Those support each other, and there are times when we need to teach, but discipleship's way more living room than it is classroom. It's way more parent-child than teacher-student. The rabbis were a father figure for these young men. In other words, it is fundamentally impossible to be a disciple and stay in your boat. How can you follow Jesus and stay in your pride, in your apathy, in your speedboat, and not follow him? In other words, Christianity is not an event that you consume and take in once in a week. Christianity is a person you're becoming the entire week. And then the weekend worship experience that you're in right now is the icing on the cake. Does that make sense? That's a whole mind shift right there of what it means to be a disciple. So what does it mean to be an apprentice of Jesus? It means that just like those young boys would, I'm going to reorient my life around becoming like Jesus. So I'm going to evaluate every decision I make, myself, me and my spouse, me and my family, the decisions we make for our family and our kids. I'm going to run all of that through the lens, through the matrix of how is this going to help us follow Jesus most effectively? In my marriage and my finances and my hobbies and what vacation we take, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, all of that I'm going to evaluate through the lens of how is this going to help me orient my life around Jesus. I love how Matthew 7 puts it. This is up on the screen, and this is from the message, uh, which is kind of Eugene Peterson's uh, version. I love the different take that this gives on Matthew 7. Let's read this together. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Everybody say total attention. 
total attention, total focus. We've been doing this class here at Hope Des Moines on Sunday nights for the past four weeks called CORE, and I know a lot of you are taking that. There's over 75 people taking this class, which is awesome. And I told them this. My heart was just filled with so much gratitude last week. I told him this. I said, this is amazing. You don't have to be here. You know this, right? There's nobody forcing you to give two and a half hours of your time on Sunday nights, but they want to be there, and they're hungry, and you are an incredibly passionate church, and I'm so grateful for you. And there was this moment last week at CORE where we were doing some Bible study and teaching people how to understand the Bible and, and read that more, and for about 10 or 15 minutes, a room of over 75 people was just in complete silence with their heads in their Bibles, praying, listening for God's voice, and meditating on his word. And I just stepped back and went, wow, total attention. And I asked myself, when's the last time for some of these folks that they had 10 or 15 minutes of total attention on anything, let alone God? The most important voice that you should be hearing among all the other noises and clutter in your life. Total Attention. When I think about total attention and total focus, I cannot help but think of what our eyes are glued to the screens watching these last few weeks. Any Olympic fans uh, out there with me? You can admit it. It's fine. Anybody have the Olympic fever? Okay, seven of you. Who's ever watched the Olympics before in your life? Okay, everybody with me? Okay, gotcha. Here we go, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I have, anybody staying up way too late watching the Olympics and kind of get, yeah, I kind of get addicted to it that way, right? Now, I love all the Olympic sports, but there is one sport in particular that has caught my attention. Any curling fans out there, right? This is sweeping the nation, okay? Here's what I like about curling. First of all, this is the Norwegian team, which is my ancestry. Are you digging the fashion statement there? Like, these are world-class athletes with their pants, right? Now, most of these sports are like for superhumans, like you see Sean White do the, 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 the snowboard thing, and you see these people going skiing at 180 miles an hour going down. The, like, I could never do that. So several years ago, I think here's what happened. The, the World Olympic Committee got together, and they said, let's come up with a sport that ordinary people could relate with. So let's make a sport that's basically you mopping your kitchen floor, and then let's put it on ice, and then everybody will be able to relate to that. That's curling, right? So I don't know about you, but I'm going to challenge my, my wife and I to do that and have a competition to clean, clean the floor tonight. That's basically what curling, I'm sure it's much more, there's more to it than that. But I feel like I could do that. You know, like that looks like me or Cousin Eddie or something like that. Anybody could do that, right? Now, with some of these sports, though, and I'm sure it is with curling, it's much more to it than that. What we don't realize is the amount of work and dedication and total attention that it takes to do this. They have dedicated their entire lives to one singular focus. You ever wonder what that would be like? Not to be so distracted and trying to be everything to everybody. There was a gal that won the figure skating the other night, and this was her fifth Olympics. That means she has been training, in training, for at least 20 to 25 years with one singular focus. There is no doubt that if you asked any of these Olympic athletes and if you hung out with them for six months, there's no doubt what you would walk away from going, they're training to be an Olympian. It's clearly obvious by the way that they live their life. If somebody lived with you for six months, would it be clearly obvious what you're training for, what the purpose of your life is, what you're most passionate about? Would that be clear? So I want to show you this next clip of a, kind of a montage, a bunch of different Athletes here giving their full focus. And as you watch this, you may recognize the song. It's called This Is Me. It's from another popular movie out right now called The Greatest Showman. Some of you have seen this right now. But as you watch this clip, think about what did it take for these athletes to get where they are. Let's take a look. 
I don't know about you, but every time I watch that, I don't know about you, but something like deep inside me goes, oh, right? Does anybody want to just go jump in an inner tube and go sledding at Waveland Golf Course right now or something, right? Does it, doesn't something inside of you kind of rise up and go, man, I would love to do something purposeful in my life. Doesn't something rise up in you and say, wow, what would it be like to have one singular focus and driving passion of my life? There is no doubt what their life is about. I love the song. I think it fits right in. This is me. If you ask an Olympian, this is me, they say, yes, I'm an Olympian. This is me. Therefore, this is how I live. What if we applied the same thing to our faith, to discipleship? This is me. I'm a disciple. Therefore, this is how I live. I'm guessing there was a lot of moments in their training the last four years. Like, the Olympics is like three years out. I'm guessing one of these skiers on here was like, you know what? I just don't really feel like training today. I think I could hit the slopes, but I'm just going to lay on the couch all day and eat Cheetos and watch videos of people skiing. Like, that'll work, right? I'll just watch, I'll listen to a podcast about skiing. Like, that'll work. I don't really have to go. I, I don't have to get out of bed and show up. And, you know, it's cold outside. And I got to get the kids ready. It's just kind of a, a drag. And it takes so much focus and attention. And then their coach says, the Olympics is three years away. What you do today affects who you'll be at the Olympics. Because you're training for something that's worth giving your life to. And sometimes I think we cre- treat following Jesus and the call of the rabbi like a throwaway. To say, I'll get around to it when I get around to it, Jesus, but go to the next boat. (laughs) Come back when I'm less busy or when I'm in a better season of life. And Jesus says, you coming? You're going to train? You're going to be my apprentice? You're going to be my follower? You're going to orient your life around? And and we don't do this as like to become some super Christian. We do it because the way we live our lives tells the world Jesus is worth it. Amen? Amen? that he's worth giving all of our lives to. That's what we're communicating to the world. What if we brought the same passion to discipleship that these athletes do to their event? That could be a game changer. We say, this is me. And as followers of Jesus, we'd start saying, well, this is me. I'm a worshiper, so I worship. I show up every single week, not just to consume, but to what I can bring to the larger church. It's just what we do. It's what our family does. We worship. This is me. We're worshipers, and so we go, and and we show up, and we bring, and we contribute. We don't just consume. And because this passion's boiling up in me, so many of you said, I just have to serve. Like, it would be weird to be, it would be unheard of to be a part of a church and not serve. Because it's just, it's flowing out of me, and it's the greatest news we could ever hear. And so I want to share with people. I want to serve. And I look at Jesus, and I say, if he's my rabbi... Well, that rabbi got down on his hands and knees and did the job of the lowest servant, and he washed the feet of his followers. So if I'm a part of a church that's following in Jesus' footsteps, I'm never going to be beyond setting up a table. I'm never going to be beyond scrubbing the floor, scraping gum off the floor. I'm never going to be beyond wiping up a coffee stain. Some of you are like, oh, no, no, Pastor John, I got that. I'm like, no, I'm good. This is what I do. I'm a servant leader because I'm just trying to follow Jesus as humbly as I can. I've told our staff that. Nobody on our staff is above anything in this building. Nobody on our staff is above anything because Jesus is who we're modeling our lives after and he's constantly inviting and, and to be a fisher of people. And so I wouldn't show up at worship without thinking, what, what neighbor or coworker, friend or family member is God calling me to bring with me this week? 
Because what we do is we communicate to the world, is this worth it or is it not worth it? And if I've found something that's worth giving my life to, why would I not be inviting people with me every single week? Come check out this Jesus. It's amazing. Don't forget. Sometimes I, I wonder, one of the things I love about Facebook is it gives me a glimpse into your lives. I'm watching you. Uh, and I know people are watching me too. It's great. It, we can build community that way. It's good. It just shouldn't end there at the other end of a mouse click. But one of the things that people are so passionate about things. And I wonder if we took the same passion that we put on Facebook about people saying, this is my gym. This is where I work out and I go here. And this is the diet and exercise plan that I'm on. And check out these awesome oils that you can diffuse in your house. And it's gonna, this is your skincare product. And it's amazing. All these things. And all those things are well and good. Please don't hear me. I'm not bashing those things. But I wonder if we took that same passion and applied it to telling people about Jesus and inviting them to be a part of a community. You read a Facebook post and it goes, oh, you got to hear about this. It's amazing. It's just this, this coolest thing ever that I've experienced and I've found and it's changed my family's life and it's changed the way that I live my life. You got to hear about it. It's the most incredible thing. Oil. Don't give me, we have, we do it. We have oils in our house. But I hope that when people look at my life, they say, you know, they have oils, but boy, are they passionate about Jesus. Uh, all those things are well and good, and, and you should take care of your physical body. I just want to challenge you this morning. Don't forget about your soul. Don't forget about the things that are going to last forever. When people look at your life and they're looking back on your life and your legacy, I want it to be undoubtedly, man, there was a church in the heart of Des Moines and boy, they weren't perfect, and they messed up, and they played the wrong notes sometimes, and it was messy, and there were spills, and there were some weird people, and, and all of that. And their pastor wasn't perfect by any means, but boy, did they love each other well, and boy, did they love Jesus. That's my deepest prayer for us as a church. And boy, did they use every ounce of energy they had to invite people along for the ride. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And last but not least, if we're going to reorient our lives around Jesus as his disciples, there's one thing we can't forget. Jesus called Peter, and then he called some more disciples, and eventually he had 12 guys that he called that were sinners, that were scum, that were tax collectors, that were fishermen. And he invested his life in them <laughs> for three years. He poured his life into them. He gave them a purpose, and they did life together. And dare I say, Jesus started the world's first small group, officially, within the church, right? And he pulled them together. Why? And I want you to remember this today, because Jesus knew that discipleship takes place best in the context of community, of relationships. It would be unthinkable to be a Christian alone. That is an oxymoron. It does not make sense. To follow Jesus means to be in Community. There was lots of ways Jesus could have made disciples. He could have said, guys, why don't you show up to the synagogue once a week? I'm going to preach for a while, and then we'll go home. And that's going to be your experience as a disciple. Oh, okay, Jesus. That sounds great, right? That's not worth giving my life to. Jesus could have discipled him and said, guys, I got a podcast. It's awesome. And you don't even have to show up, and we don't even have to look at each other. You can just stay at home and download the podcast and listen to it, and that's all you have to do for your faith, Right? No, they ate together and they talked together and they walked together and they cried together and they comforted each other and they challenged each other big time. 
and they prayed for people together, and they lived life in community, and they reached out, and they went knocking on doors, and they offered to heal for people, heal people. They did life together. And if Jesus modeled that, what makes us think we don't need a group? And so on your chairs today, we don't want to just talk about it. We want to give you an opportunity to respond. On your chairs are these life group cards for group launch, which we're doing on Tuesday. And again, I want to challenge you to think about what's your group? What's your team? What's, what's your group here this morning? And this is for all of you, men, women, couples, young adults. We've got stuff for Breakfast Club on Sunday morning, if that works better for you. I want to challenge you. And even at the bottom of the card, there's an opportunity for you to tell us what's getting in the way. <laughs> What are some of the, the issues you're facing in your boat this morning? Is it childcare? Is it time? Is it day of the week? What, how can we help you? We are so passionate about this. We believe life transformation happens best in groups. We want to help you get in a group and remove any obstacle that we can. So please tell us about that. If you're already in a group, invite somebody to join your group. But if you're not, this isn't just for the people that want to join a group. I would encourage every single one of you to take out that card, pray about it, and then turn it in before you leave today. We're going to have a couple big baskets in the back as you leave today. And as you think about that, and as you pray about that, I want to give you two main reasons of why I believe every single one of us is called to join a group. Number one, it's the best place to grow. It's the best place to grow. You want to know, <laughs> when I look at the early church and I look at Paul writing his letters to them, there's some things... You know what's really hard to do watching church online? Which is great if you're sick or you're out of town. That's awesome. But if you're in town, what's really hard to do listening to a podcast or watching church online or showing up once a month, it's really hard to love each other. It's really hard to learn to forgive. It's really hard to learn how to be patient and bear with one another. It's really hard to cry with people. It's really hard to share your joys and the excitement of your life and celebrate and party with people. It's really hard to do life together when you're separate. It's the best place to grow, the best way that we become more and more like Jesus. Scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. We need that for each other. So number one, it's the best place to grow. But the second reason that every single one of us is called to be in a group is this. Life happens. <laughs> life happens. Not if life happens, but when life happens. Some of you are like, John, I am connected. I have 742,000 friends on Facebook. I'm good. I'm connected. How many of those people know what's in your heart today? How many of those people know your story? How many of those people know what you're struggling with? The disconnected life is fine until your marriage falls apart. The disconnected life is fine until you fall in some financial struggles and you don't know what to do because you don't want to admit that you're struggling and ask for help. What do you do when you lose your job? What do you do when you're a year into your marriage and it's really struggling, but you're a Christian, so you really shouldn't admit that you're struggling in your marriage? What do you do? You just show up at work, worship every week with your mask on? or What do you do when you're depressed? We don't talk about that nearly enough. What do you do when somebody close to you dies and you're having a really hard time processing that? The disconnected life is fine until life hits. I remember it vividly a couple months ago, a gentleman from our community here came in to talk to me and we'll say his name is Dan. It's not really his name, but we'll say his name is Dan. And it surprised me when Dan called me up and asked if we could talk because Dan 
him and his family with this perfect Christian family, or so it appeared, uh, middle-aged man, pretty successful in his job, got a great wife, a couple awesome kids. On the outside, it looked like everything was great. And so it kind of shocked me when he called me up and said, John, I need to talk. And then I remembered a few months before that, I had done the funeral for his dad, who was the rock of his life. And Guys, when we lose our dads, when we lose that male figure in our lives, sometimes it just rocks us. Because the strongest man he had in his life now is gone. And he's asking the question, I'm 45 years old, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't don't know, I can't be strong like my dad was. And so he calls me up and we get coffee and I said, hey, you know, what's going on? And he says, all of that's going on and on top of that, he says, I'm probably a couple weeks from getting kicked out of my house. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you're in worship every, you're this family sitting over here that, that, that has it all together. And he said, you know how some people are alcoholics? She thinks I'm a workaholic. And she says, I spend so much time at my job and in my hobbies and my clubs that I've kind of left her and the kids in the dust. And so she said, if something doesn't change, you got to go because we're just roommates. We're not really married. And he said, John, I've never been so scared in my life because I'm going to lose the two most important things to me, my wife and my kids. I don't know what to do. I'm not making this up. Like every single one of us has these stories in some way. And before I, you know, gave him answers and shared my heart with him, I, I said, Dan, I just feel like God's calling me to ask you a question. And I I looked in the eyes of this strong, confident, middle-aged man. And I said, Dan, is there, I'm honored that you told me about this, but is there anybody in your life that knows what's going on? Are there any other guys, is there anybody else that knows what's going on? Any other couples that you guys are connected with that know what's going on in your marriage? And he kind of looked down and he wiped his eyes. And after a long pause, he looked up. And he could tell it was the most vulnerable thing he'd ever done. He said, no, I don't have anybody. And my heart just ached for him because I guarantee if we went around the room today, it would be really hard for every single one of us to say that we are completely content and satisfied with the depth of our relationships. A mentor once told me that the mark of a true friend to know if you have community is when your marriage is falling apart, when you're struggling, whatever you're going through, and you're laying in your bed at night, and it's three o'clock in the morning, who do you call? Well, Dan said, I got my, I got my golfing buddies, but they wouldn't care. They're just interested in drinking and golfing. Ladies, I don't know what it is for you, but I, I think we can put on the mask just the same. Is it your social club or sisters in Christ? Do you have anybody? Who are your 3 a.m. friends? Who would you call that would listen to you and not try to fix you? That's what a friend does. Do you have anybody that knows what's going on so that you don't get in that spot where you have to look at your pastor in the eye and say, I don't have anybody, so I'm coming to the pastor. I don't want you to have to come to me. I want you to have brothers and sisters in Christ because we're family. 
Church is not an event you consume. It's a family you belong to. And it's really hard to do hope and not do a group. You're going to feel like something's missing, and you should. Because you were created for real, authentic, true relationships. And that's what we believe life groups can provide. And so I want to offer you three challenges today as we start the season of Lent. Number one, you got to get out of your boat. You got to follow Jesus. Number two, what would it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in every aspect of your life? And number three, I want to challenge you to be known. This is great. The weekend thing is great. But man, you were meant to be known, to know and to be known. And so as you look at that card, I want to encourage you to look at that card one more time. We want to help you get connected. And your church experience will skyrocket because you're going to walk in every single week and go, they know me, they know me, they know me, they know me. They know that my life is a mess right now and that they love me and accept me anyway. The worst thing you can do when your life is on the rocks is isolate yourself. And yet that's what so many of us do. Oh my word, what if somebody at church found out that I got in a huge argument with my spouse last week. I can't show up at worship. What if somebody knew what was going on that I'm, that I'm depressed? I can't show up at church. This is the first place you should go because this is where you're loved and accepted unconditionally. This is the safest place to go. We need a group. It's where we grow. It's where we're transformed. And so as you look at that sheet, I want to ask you to pray about that. Where is God calling you to plug in in a group. Come to group launch on Tuesday night, right here at 6.30, and we'll help you get connected in a group. We live in a world that is more connected than ever and more lonely than ever. And this is something you can't get anywhere else, is real Christian community, real friendships, real authentic relationships. And so as we watch this final video, it's, it's a commercial, but it just hits it right on the head today. As you watch this final video, ask yourself, what would it look like for me to shut the screen, take out the earplugs, put down the phone, and look somebody in the eyes? Let's take a look. God is calling you to come out of isolation, to come out of your boat and come to the table and to be known. Some of you are the guy at the end of the hallway And Jesus is knocking on your door this morning saying, you coming? Don't miss the party. <laughs> Don't miss the point of all this is to be known by others and by the God that created you. And some of you God is calling to be the little girl to go and knock on the door. Follow me, Jesus says, and I'll make you fishers of people to go knock on some doors. And yet further, some of you are leaders. I know you are, and God has made you to be a leader, that you have influence, and you have a house, and you have space, and you have gifts and experiences that other people need to have. Put out your table, leaders. Put out your table. Have a party, invite some friends, and tell them about Jesus. We are continuing to grow as a church, and as we continue to grow as a church, we've got to grow our leadership. <laughs> We need more and more leaders to say, I'll do it. I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. But that's not what leading a small group is. Leading a small group is saying, I'm just going to invite you into my imperfect life and let's follow Jesus together. 
So if God is calling you to lead, mark that on your sheet as well. There's a place for that. We would love to start as many small groups as we can in the next couple weeks, but we need some people to step out, put their table in the hallway, and lead. So please don't leave here today without filling out that card. We would love to hear from every single one of you, and then we'll see you on Tuesday night for group launch. Well, and if you're in your 20s and 30s, you can literally go eat together uh, right after this service as well. So what we normally do is we close in worship, and the band leads us in a song, but today our response can look a lot of different ways. Today we're not going to end with worship. We're going to end with you. We're going to end with community. And so my challenge to you is this. If we're going to know each other, maybe we should start with that person that's been sitting next to us the whole time that we've been trying not to make eye contact with. They're your brother and your sister in Christ. And yeah, they're a little weird, but so are you. Welcome to hope, okay? So here's my challenge for you. Before you leave and rush off today to do what you need to do, don't settle for the person next to you that you're married to or that you're family with. Find one person that you don't know this morning. They may be sitting next to you. Folks, you may have to cross over the aisle or go to the other side of the worship center to find somebody. I know, I get it, I'm an introvert. This is for you too, this is hard, but we're made for relationship. I get it, we're Lutheran. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is Lutheran. I get it, and this is hard for some of you, but we're made for a relationship, okay? Find one other person, shake their hand, look them in the eyes, learn their name, learn each other's names, and tell each other what brought you to hope. What's your hope story? How did God bring you here? Maybe write down their name. Get to know them a little bit. I wanna challenge you to do that. All right, let me pray for you. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that you call us out of the boat and into community. You call us out of the boat into a life of discipleship. And God, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's inconvenient to follow you, Jesus. But man, is it worth it. Man, is it worth it. There's nothing we would rather do, Jesus, than be changed by you. There's nothing else that satisfies us like you. God, would you draw us out of hiding and into relationship? Would you help us move past our vulnerabilities and our insecurities and our fears? and be who you've created us to be, and that's family as the church. God, we love you, and we thank you for calling us out today to be fishers, to go knock on some doors, and to invite people in. God, we love you, and we pray all these things in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Go sign up to be a prayer partner. Meet somebody new today. Learn their name. God bless you. Go be the church.